It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Hey, folks, we're back in New Jersey, okay? The only way this show can actually work. We like doing it from the road. It is what it is. But the show's called American Loser, guys. My name's KP Burke. I am your host. Each week, me and my Delph of a dad cover a weird topic from American history. And this week is a little bit different because there's no Delph in the room, okay? He's going to call in a little bit later. He's got a weird, cool side note for us. Uh, so instead, we are at a Shared Universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Big kahuna behind the ones and twos. Good to see you again, buddy. Good to see you too, man. It's nice to see you in person. It is true. That was uh, we, we had a chance to do a little bit of skyping. Uh, we had a, a classic uh, Nick Franco podcast. Uh, he had us <laughs> on as uh, as guests, both of us, if you will. I know you engineer for that one too. And real quick, shout out to Nick Franco and his wife Tracy, who did come out to see me last night over at uh, Bananas in Hasbrook Heights. And I'll go ahead and I'll promote this date real quick right away up front. It looks like it's official, guys. The second weekend in March. On that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'll be opening for uh, none other than Jason Muse, as in Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. I've worked with them in the past. We have a bunch of uh, friends in common, if you will. Thank God to uh, uh, Ming and Mike, who take a great care of us over here at... Uh, I got Italian there for a second. Who's take a great care of us? <laughs> Who's take a great care of us? <laughs> Sound like the, the pizza chef from fucking Chuck E. Cheese. Not too far <laughs> off. <laughs> Reference, baby. Reference. So, um, But we got a great show for you here today, and I need someone to fill in for my Dilf of a dad. So who do you call in other than the meanest girl in New Jersey? Carrie Arex Burke. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Not, I'm very happy that you're here. Uh, again, we had to petition the governor to ask you to be released for this weekend. Uh, Sente, this time it was from the hospital, though. <laughs> Sent a six-foot-four black man running for his life. <laughs> <laughs> also true. That was uh, um, There was a moment of fear and genuine panic. As, uh, the, the safety. These elevators here at this building are not safe, but the idea that they were safer than carry is, is kind of the thing. Carrie's <laughs> on the loose in the building again. Yeah, we got a handsome Joe Weber and uh, John Beecroft next door. They're wrapping up their podcast. So if you, uh, you sh- I don't think we're going to hear anything in the background of that one, but whatever. Those kids smoke too much pot, all right? So they, they don't know how loud they are. But <laughs> Them and their damn cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a cartoon reference at the very end of this one today that I'm, I cannot wait. As I wrote it down, I just had a smile on my face thinking about what you're going to react to, buddy. Um, I got an exciting one for you. Okay. So uh, now next month is going to be Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I wanted to save this one for that, but you know what? I, I had no other idea what to, to cover for you know the next couple of episodes here, so I went ahead and dove in on this one. So with a face like Kathy Bates in misery and a reputation for violence, the last thing you would expect would be a loving mother, but apparently that's exactly what the legendary criminal Ma Barker was all about. Uh, Ma and her boys ran the Barker Carpus Gang during the public enemy era of American Loser. What do you got? I already know what fucking <laughs> cartoon you're going to reference. Let's see. Is it? Could it's it, it's no, DuckTales, yes, isn't it? Yes, sir, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. She's referenced in DuckTales uh, as uh, the name Ma Beagle, I believe, yep. is what her name was. Also, Goonies. She is loosely uh, inspired. Definitely. When you see a picture of Ma Barker, you'll see that for sure. Also, uh, I, I believe they uh, do a little bit of a gimmick on her for Naked Gun 
uh, 33 and a third. <laughs> that uh, uh, the, uh, the the main terrorist uh, Rocco's mother is uh, kind of based off of her. So she's fascinating, though. She's pretty cool. Now, Carrie, you had never heard of this person before today, right? The name was familiar, but I couldn't place it with the right gang. Well, there's also a, I believe it's either she's an R and B singer or maybe she's a female MC. I don't know, but there is a uh, someone in the hip hop community. Beyonce? That, no, she goes by Ma Barker straight <laughs> up. Yeah. She's married to somebody. I can't. I, I'll forget who it is, but it's um, it, it another weird time. So this person's referenced all the time. She's constantly in uh, uh, she, but she's always portrayed as a very cruel, gun-toting, uh, you know, machine gun shooting bank robber who will murder anyone who gets in her way. Mm-hmm. Right. This is that classic public enemy era of uh, American outlaw history. Yeah. She would be the target, by the way, eventually. Uh, in a nice loserception, right out there, right up front. Some people thought we weren't doing loserceptions anymore. I was having a hard time tying in the weird Florida history I was covering with this. But boom, loserception. J. Edgar Hoover gets involved. With our with, with our loser? Barker. Yep. And it winds up costing her her life in the end. Ma Barker. Ma Barker. So, Ma Barker. Now, how does a nice girl from Missouri, nicknamed Ari, go from Heartland housewife to gunfighting with the FBI? Well, uh, that's a bit of a point of conjecture here. Welcome to Ma Barker, American Loser. Someone definitely told her to relax. <laughs> you should smile more. <laughs> You're sick of that one already, aren't you, Care? A little bit. You should smile more. I can't. <laughs> the mask helps. Yeah, oh, that is one nice part about the mask. Now As... it's just a question of why is your one eye smaller than the other? <laughs> yeah, Carrie keeps getting punished by God for being gay, but it is what it is. It is true. <laughs> I'm teasing. We actually, I, I came back up, for those who uh, want to know, I came back up from Florida because... Uh, Carrie's having the formal ceremony for her wedding now, of which she yes. wants uh, she wants to make sure that um, we have a chance to give COVID to all of our loved ones one more time before yeah. the vaccine is exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> I can't wait, Carrie. I've had my best man speech written for quite some time. And, now uh, I'm scared. No, it's You're pretty uninvited. good. Uninvited. Uninvited. Oh, man. Oh. You know what that means? That means I, I got you. If I got uninvited, that means I could have taken that weekend at Mohegan Sun with Bobby Kelly. Wait, God I thought you were it. the maid of honor, not That's... the best man. <laughs> nah. I'm whatever the dress says I am, so... <laughs> You but, would wear a dress to that, wouldn't you? Uh, well, I did perform in drag down in Jacksonville, but that's neither here nor there. I was the dice woman. Is that what you're wearing to the wedding? Uh, I mean, only if you tell me I can. I don't want to show up the bride on her wedding day, Carrie. True. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. But that's not, we're not talking about us today. We're talking about good old Mar- Ma Barker, who was born in Missouri, all right, in 1873 to a very poor uh, background. She was... Widely considered to be illiterate. Most of the people in today's story in the gang are illiterate, which kind of makes it remarkable when you think about the stuff they pull off. Life is very tough for Americans everywhere during this time period, especially if you lived in the heartland, which is about to be rocked with a Great Depression, a Dust Bowl, everything you can possibly imagine. Uh, And they're not really hit by because they're isolated from the major cities. They don't get to be a part of the whole illumination, if you will, of the Gilded Age. So, you know, like Edison, electricity, you know, telephones. So, So what you're saying is life is like a hurricane. Here in Duckburg. No race cars, lasers, airplanes yet. <laughs> For the nine people that are going to get that reference. Right? That was genius. That went over my head. That was genius. So people it's, ask. It's the fucking DuckTales theme uh, song. <laughs> Um, Joe Weber, that was for you, man. <laughs> meanwhile, poor Uncle Paulie's sitting there like, what the fuck did he just say? <laughs> but yeah, so these guys, they're not getting a whole lot of stuff going on there. Um, and these major cities, it's not the amenities of the major cities are not being enjoyed by people like Ma Barker. So uh, her legal name, by the way, Arizona Donnie Clark. Yeah, so Ma became what I couldn't wait for a nickname personally if I had a name like Arizona Donnie Clark. But growing up as a kid, she was nicknamed Ari as in Arizona. 
Okay. Right? The eventual Ma Barker would marry George Baker. So George Baker, I believe that's the same name as the sheriff that uh, John Ashley, the pirate down in uh, the Everglades, got into a, a, a gunfight with. But uh, George Baker is the husband now of Ma Baker. George Barker. worked – go ahead. Barker. Barker. I, I keep saying Baker. Baker. Yeah, Baker is the sheriff. Barker is Ma Barker. Thank you. Good catch. Uh, I, don't get me wrong. I made that mistake in writing this about 100 times. So um, George is going to work very a uh, ton of menial jobs. He's kind of considered shiftless. He's a little bit of a lazy dude. Uh, unambitious. I mean, how can you be ambitious during that time period when you can't even read and uh, you're just struggling to put food on the table? Your hierarchy of needs is diminished. So George would, however, make a ma out of ma by having four sons with her. Uh, the four sons are named uh, Huey, Louie, Dewey. And <laughs> I'm messing, man. And Scrooge. <laughs> well, here's the names of uh, her boys. So this is important to remember. There's four boys, four Barker boys. There's Herman. Arthur, Lloyd, and Fred. Sounds like a law group. Uh, it pretty much is Herman, Arthur, Lloyd, and Fred. <laughs> By the way, every time we say Arthur's name on here, I'm going to have to go into the Peaky Blinders. Arthur. Arthur. <laughs> but Herman, Arthur, Lloyd, and Fred. And Ma Barker's boys, just like Grammy Burke's boys, Kerry, uh, could do no wrong, right? Of course. Except for when they did. Yeah. So the so, eldest. I just want to point out, so in 1892 when she married George, she also started going by the first name Kate. Oh, yeah. Well, kind of curious as to where that came out of. She's got a couple of, well, I mean, when you want to change your name, typically Caitlin is uh, what you change when you're going to assume a new identity. Yeah, I guess it's run of the mill. That was, yeah. For those who listened at home, that's a brilliant joke. KP Burke, <laughs> right? Come see me out loud. Her, uh, her eldest uh, child, these fucking stoners next door, they're getting too damn loud again. I know. It is what it is. But uh, the eldest son, Herman, was arrested at age 17. So, uh, I mean, Carrie, you were not arrested until you were at least 19. True. Yeah. Now, I tried as an adult, unfortunately, but. <laughs> I was a little too tall. Too tall. Passed as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, Carrie had a mean streak to her, because you grew up playing uh, roller hockey with me, so there's that. <laughs> In the cage. In the cage. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, arrested at age 17 for highway robbery. He probably would have gotten away with it, but uh, the police pursued him aggressively since uh, during his escape, he ran over a child. Yeah, so just a little little fun here, just trying to you know pull off a quick highway robbery, and then during his escape. Now, it doesn't say if the child died. It might have just been like the kid got hit by the car or he ran over his foot or something. But nonetheless, you hit a kid, the cops are coming after you. It's a little fucked up. It is. A, well, it's not. Mm. Trust me, Herman's going to become the least sympathetic of the Barker boys as Sounds we go. Sounds like it. That's very true. <laughs> well, uh, Herman, like any good brother... Uh, after he gets um, arrested for the first time, brings his younger siblings, because remember, he's the eldest. He brings the younger siblings into the new family business of uh, robbery, uh, occasional homicide, and more. So, you know, I like to think that we're all relatively handy in the Burke family, right? I mean, I, I learned the plumbing trade. Dad's a master carpenter. Um, you know, Carrie can operate any vehicle known to man, forklift, pallet jack. It's true. Uh, she can, you can drive stick, too, I think, right? I uh, started to learn it. Yeah. I, I kind of can. She, Carrie can do pretty much anything. If you needed her to drive an 18-wheeler, she could pull it off. And I work at Home Depot. Also true. Well, I mean, I didn't want to advertise where you work, but it is what it is. Everyone knows The show is point. sponsored by Lowe's and Ace Hardware. So. And Menards in the West. <laughs> well, good old Herm's bringing the, uh, his brothers into the gang. This results in the Barker boys being brought into the Central Park gang. And the Central Park gang was a gang that you'd think New York, right? No. 
These guys are terrorizing the Midwest from pretty much Kansas to Oklahoma. It's just our middle park. That's a <laughs> we're nothing. We're nothing like them Yankees in New York. That's uh yeah, a different kind of Central Park Five on this one. Um, <laughs> oh my yeah. God, KP, come on. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> Sadly, the criminal industry is a lot like stand-up comedy and roofing. Uh, most people don't get to retire from it. So, uh, of course, uh, Herman's going to wind up – this is a little bit – I don't want to say tragic because Herman sounds like a giant douchebag, not like my great friend Herman Nasworth, one of the funniest human beings on planet Earth that resides in Jacksonville, Florida. But Herman Barker is going to kill himself. All right, He kills himself around age 34 in order to avoid prison during a getaway gone wrong. The getaway cars he was attempting to make his escape resulted in a car crash in Wichita, Kansas. And this is after Herman shot a police officer point blank in the face, killing him instantly. So when you kill a cop and then you crash your getaway vehicle and you're badly injured, uh, he decided to take the, I want to, we'll, we'll call it, I don't want to say the coward's way out because I think that's kind of an oversimplification. But Easy way out. Yeah, well, he definitely sat there and he goes, well, I could either sit in a hospital and recover long enough to get the chair or I could just take care of matters myself. I mean... So. I don't know which one I would choose. I don't yeah. want to be electrocuted, so. Well, I've, I've also, again, I, I would never actually do it. Uh, and I understand that suicide's a very heavy thing here. But there have been days when I've gone into work, especially when I worked at the Home Depot with you and I saw the list of shit I had to do that day. And I was like, maybe I'll get hit by a forklift. I mean, <laughs> I think I go through that every night. That's <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But there's times you look up at a ceiling fan and you're just like, I could, yeah, if I, if I jump high enough, I think I could get myself up or there. Or at least to have my foot run over. Yeah, maybe a fire extinguisher will you know, fall off of something and hit that's me. Like, yeah. That's like when I cross the street and I'm just like, I mean, I don't want to get hit by a car, but it's like if one were to hit me, the check would be appreciated. <laughs> Here's the problem. Kahuna, he always plays it down. He's built like he could be an offensive lineman for the Jets. The car would get totaled and Kahuna would sit. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a Kahuna print in the front of the car. <laughs> kind of like, a, what is it, Wiley Coyote in the wall? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Pretty Just much. see the outline. <laughs> Well, so uh, now Herman is dead. He's killed himself. This happens in 1927. And this is how crazy Ma Barker's boys were. From 1928 to 1931, all four of her sons are missing from her life in some capacity. Herman is dead. Lloyd is doing time at Leavenworth, one of the most notorious prisons in the country. Arthur, a.k.a. Doc, which, by the way, it's hilarious to have a nickname like Doc and then pretty much be illiterate. The guy couldn't read. His nickname was Doc. (laughs) So he's locked up in Oklahoma. And Fred was doing time at Kansas State doing, uh, well, I mean, prison, not basketball, uh, as good of a program as Kansas State has. It's almost March Madness. (laughs) But at least Ma had George to rely on, right? Her good old husband, the father of her children. Sounds like a winner. Mm -hmm. He's dead, isn't he? Nope. Uh, Stories differ, though, because they say some people say that she kicked him out uh, or other people say that he abandoned the family when the criminal acts of his sons and more so his wife's attempts to justify them or to subvert their punishments. Like, Ma Barker is ride or die, okay? I know you're tight with your mom, Cahoon, so it's like, if you got into trouble, is your mom going to turn you into the authorities and be like, you got to face your punishment? Or is your ma sitting there saying, car's running, get in? A little bit of both, to be honest with you. (laughs) Like, she'll be the one who would be like, all right, I called the cops, but the car's running. I like That's probably where Sandy Burke would be with us, I would say. Um... I think she would have it be like, you got to go to jail, and then when you get out, I'll be here for you. you know? Yeah, I think that. That's probably yeah. more so the thing. Yeah, she's a little bit more tough love in that kind of thing. Like, you did the crime, now do the time kind of thing. Uh, they are an old school family that way. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
But uh, unfortunately, like we said, all of them are locked up at this point, and now George actually uh, abandons the family. The FBI would state this. Now, here's where the loser comes in. Who is Ma Barker? Is she actually this gun-toting gangster like we're talking about? Is she this loose woman that we're going to start hearing more about? Because you can't really trust the FBI because the FBI will – they'll attack your reputation first so that it will make you seem like a villain so that they can – when they take you down, there's some justification to it. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so apparently during this time though, she was known to often say, if the good people of this town don't like my boys, then the good people know what to do. Ooh. Like, <laughs> Stick you know, where the putting sun her parental responsibilities on everyone else in this town except for herself and her husband. She's uh, like that Jeff Foxworthy joke where you, if uh, if your mother can tell a state trooper to kiss her ass without taking her cigarette out of her mouth, you might be a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> well, the FBI states that George left Ma uh, because she became a little bit too morally loose of a woman. Now, morally loose, meaning, you know, maybe some boyfriends, maybe some light prostitution. I mean, apparently he was a loser in a sense. Like he wasn't oh, yeah, really he was... like involved with the boys' education at all. He was just kind of like existing. Yeah, they never uh, – none of the boys could read as far as I could tell. Or if they did learn, it wasn't because they were formally educated kind of a thing. And also – They also moved around a lot. A ton. And the problem with George Baker uh, – Barker, rather. I'm sorry. Good catch, care. Um, George B. Baker. We're changing your name now. <laughs> it's Baker. Yeah, look how easy that was, right? Ma's going to go by Kate soon. Right. <laughs> but um, now an important thing to note, too, is that George Barker, uh, as much as he didn't support his boys' crimes and sat there and said, well, they should serve their time for you know whatever they're doing, um, he also was very quick to uh, pick up money of theirs uh, from these ridiculous crimes that they were pulling off and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, why not? Yeah, it's... It's one of those things where it's like, hey, there's some money here. I mean, it's what do I do? Just give it back to the banks or something? These people are living uh, meal to meal, essentially. So there is a sense of sympathy for the poverty level. However, at the same time, if your sons are robbing everything and you keep telling them, hey, stop doing that, you kind of look like a little bit of a hypocrite if you're like, uh, I'm abandoning my family, but I'm going to take some of the money these boys made while they're locked up. Now, when he abandoned, was he like, that's the end of his story? Like he just kind of rode off into the sunset or like we don't know what happened to him well, or apparently he does pursue a couple other things uh towards the the end if you will where some of the the gang because the gang's about to get quite prolific mm -hmm. and what he'll do is he goes in and um he'll find ways to profit off the name if you will so it gets a little bit goofy here but i don't want to say anything else without giving away the uh the second half kind of like i'm eventually going to profit off of your name yeah, I mean, I'm a road comic, so eventually they're going to find me dead in a hotel room somewhere in my 30s. So, And you're in your 30s now. So, mm -hmm. so seven years left, guys. <laughs> All right, seven years left. But um, no, it's a, they, again, the FBI is saying that she's a bit of a loose woman here. They're doing that to kind of attack her character first. Um, this uh, served often for a couple of reasons because they would like to fabricate these salacious stories about the criminals that the FBI was chasing down in order to make the G-men of the Bureau, because remember, it's not the FBI yet, it's the Bureau of Investigation, uh, headed up by J. Edgar Hoover, looking more heroic for chasing down such dastardly criminals. And it also helps the public to look the other way when an agent may take things maybe a step too far, um, but you know, but they were really a bad person, so maybe we can ignore their, you know, uh, their, their rights on this particular instance. So, from, That's what they did with me. 
Yeah, essentially. I mean, uh, hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want Kerry to know that uh, the reason she went away, because uh, uh, I mean, Kerry had a violent streak, but uh, eventually we planted drugs on her one day. And Dude, we're supposed to say that on air. <laughs> no, it's been seven years. That's uh, outside the statute of limitations. So, from 1928 to 1931, Ma will live in total poverty. I mean, she is believed to have remarried in 1930 per the census. So, you know. If you ever want to really hide your records, don't fill out the census, guys. All right. Oh man, <laughs> I just did that. You Crap! Just they know I exist. That's the problem. That's once they know you exist, then they can figure out what they're going to do with you. But uh, to a man named Arthur Dunlap. All right, Dunlap, Dunlap. It depends on how you want to uh, pronounce it. There's a couple different Baker spellings. Baker Barker. Baker Barker. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but in 1931, uh, good old Freddie gets out of prison. All right, Freddie. The baby of the family is out of prison now. So what's the baby of the family going to do? He's going to decide, hey, I served my time. I learned my lesson. Let's get a good, honest career path going. Yeah, okay. Nope. <laughs> he also brought his little buddy along with him. He Alvin does. and the Chipmunks. Alvin and the Chipmunks. That is a good reference there. It's uh, Alvin Karpus is going to be this guy's name. See, I like the thought that all of these great cartoon characters are named after just these horrible criminals throughout history. So well, I'm going to too far removed from the truth. It's. I know it's not. But I'm just going to keep with the narrative that that's where Alvin gets his name from. In, in the reverse of that, my uncle Terry, Terry, uh, full name Terrence, was named by my older uncle, Bob, after a cartoon character. Really? The it was a comic yeah, strip. My grandparents gave him responsibility of naming his new baby brother, and he named them after, what, Terrence? It was Terry and the Pirates was there a comic strip that Uncle Bobby liked, so he oh named his God. younger brother. And then that's why my father's legal name is Snoopy Patrick Burke. That's <laughs> <laughs> See, if you had told me that with a straight face, I would have totally believed you, but <laughs> I, I assumed that would have been a thing he wouldn't have told me because he knew I would have fucking, like, nerded out about it. <laughs> well, some uh, mob history fans might notice the name uh, Alvin Karpus here uh, because we just did mention him that when Freddie gets out of jail, he gets you know, back into his criminal enterprising. And he meets up with a prison buddy of his named Alvin Karpus, like Kerry said. Can I just say, he has the best nickname. Alvin Karpus? Yeah. What is it? Old Creepy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. <laughs> Best nickname ever. And when you look at a picture of him, the nickname fits. I'll say that much. Um, what was his name? Alvin Karpis, K-A-R-P-I-S. Alvin Karpis. Now, mob history fans would know him because uh, he might sound familiar. And if so, it's because he is only – this is one of the major distinctions of him. He is only one of four. There were only four ever to be named public enemy number one by the FBI or the Bureau of Investigation at the time. So there's only four people. You want to guess who the other ones were, Kerr? It's a couple big names. Yeah, I know one of them, and I'm drawing a huge blank on the name. As soon as you hear I them, you're going to know. I saw the movie he was in, though. Yeah, uh, so. That play, he was portrayed in. Played by Johnny Depp. Yeah. Right? Public Enemies. John Dillinger. John Dillinger. Yeah, That's number one, right? I think he was the first ever, if I recall. Uh, John Dillinger, Babyface Nelson. Babyface Nelson. You got it, buddy. And then there's one more. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, uh, Mayweather originally was going by this moniker before he became Money Mayweather. Al Capone? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty Boy Floyd. So that's, that's the top four. The only four to ever be named public enemy number one. And that means number one. That doesn't mean most wanted. That means number one. Four. Yep, <laughs> with the bullet. Public enemy number one, there were only four people, right? Dillinger, Pretty Boy Floyd, Baby Face Nelson, and our boy Alvin Carpus. Oh, creepy. By the way, it suits him. Yeah. I looked at a picture of old creepy. Oh, we'll be putting old a picture creepy. up on the Instagram. <laughs> Don't put my picture there. No, we wouldn't do that to you, Kara. It's, you have the same haircut as him, though. 
Um, Carpus is also infamous for having paid a doctor. Uh, and more on this later. That's what we're going to be calling LP up about because he knows a little bit more about this doctor. But there was a doctor you could go see back in the day um, who worked specifically for the underworld, all right, for the, the mobsters that you could go. If you had a gunshot wound or something like that, you could go get taken care of by this guy. You go to the the special doctor. Exactly. And the special doctor did a a specific little procedure for Alvin Carpus where he removed his fingerprints. Oh. Yep. Is it how I think they were doing it? Don't you just hold your fingers over a flame? Uh, It could be. I'm sure there was maybe some acid involved. I don't know how it all worked on that, but I know that it wound up screwing over Alvin Carpus later because he tried to flee to another country and had issues getting a passport because they were trying to fingerprint him for the passport. Like, the fuck is going on here? (laughs) Just these weird smudge prints. Look like Mr. Hanky just showed up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Carpus, uh, infamous guy here. But uh, sure, her sons had gone back right to uh, their old ways of robbery and occasionally more. But at least Ma and her new husband had some food on the table, right? The Barker Carpus gang, which I've always wondered how you decide which name goes first in a gang like that. Do you go alphabetically or do you go by what sounds cooler? BK, go- Burger King. BK, ooh, I like that. The, the Burke Kahuna gang. That's the three of us. We're gonna go knock over uh, the McDonald's across the street. You mean the, the Big Kahuna, the, the, the Big Kahuna Burger Gang, the BK Killer. <laughs> well, oh my so God. I do wonder about how you'd figure that one out. But uh, anyhow, the gang has a good year or so of a run in the Missouri Territory until, again, what happens? Freddie and uh, Carpus they wind up shooting and killing a sheriff, and you're forced to flee. When you, sh- Eric Clapton and Bob Marley tried to tell us, okay, when you shoot the sheriff. <laughs> They're going to come after you. But they didn't shoot the deputy. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Ma and her husband, Arthur, uh, I'm sorry, not Arthur, uh, her husband, uh, Mr. Belknap, right? We'll call him Belknap because I don't want to confuse it with her son, Arthur. But uh, Belknap and Ma are going to accompany the gang on a couple of their uh, their trips here as they're moving everybody around. These are good boys, the Barker boys. They want to take care of Ma, right? So they take Ma around with her. Unfortunately, this leads to her being named as an accomplice in the murders and in some of the robberies. And a $100 reward is offered for Old Lady Barker, which adjusted for inflation today in this time period is uh, about a $1,700 bounty. That still ain't enough for me to go after crazy white people. I'm sorry. I was going to say, too, it's a nice old lady from the Midwest because, again, the the reputation becomes that she's this gunfighter, murderous villain. But, I mean, really, a a lot of the people who knew her were like she was just like a simpleton. You know what I mean? It's uh, not really fitting of the criminal mastermind type that they made her out to be. Really? So it was it was just kind of just the legend around her that was more infamous. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more um, towards the end here, but it's definitely one of those things. So start thinking about that too. Also, start thinking about your casting couch because she has been played by some interesting people here. But uh, poor Ma Barker, she's in for a wild ride now with her boy. All right. Fred and Alvin Carpus are running a solid outfit that's pulling heists and more uh, like really heists and more. I mean, there's some murder in there. There's uh, some highway robbery, stuff like that. Um, But they're doing this all over the Midwest. Now, the gang avoids Chicago, though, because while they're out in Chicago for a little while, if you want to work in Chicago during the public enemy era, Kerry, you said it earlier. What's a name of somebody that might be considered a kingpin out there? I think it's Al Capone. Yeah. So uh, Al Capone and his uh, his right-hand man, Mr. Frank Nitty, they were kind of the guys that was like, well, listen, if you want to pull off robberies in Chicago, that's great, but you got to work for our outfit, which means you take orders from us. It means you kick a percentage back up to us. Right. And they said, well... I'm not really comfortable with that. So that's actually how crazy the mafia world is, by the way. He goes, if you want to work here, you have to pay us for the right to rob our own people. 
So yeah, <laughs> not making. You got to pay up. us for a license, and exactly. then you can go about doing your business. It's like being a contractor, man. It really is. Yeah, you're you like, got to oh. apply for the permit. Exactly. <laughs> Someone's got to come by, and make sure you did it right. But right. anyway, around this time frame, good old Arthur is getting out of prison, and uh, Arthur is considered to be the most um, vile of the Barker boys. That he's uh, as bad as Herman was. Arthur was pretty much just like a, a roughneck kind of a dude. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, he gets out of prison, joins up with the gang immediately. Ma's got two of her boys back, right? It's a happy family reunion, guys. Yeah, it's all good. As they continue to pull jobs and use uh, – actually, their use of Ma's still under some controversy here. So this is like what we were talking about a second ago, Cahoon, so it's almost a perfect segue into it. Mm-hmm. Some of these people, uh, including those in the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover himself – argued that she was the matriarch and the shot caller of this whole criminal family. Okay. Yeah, I believe he actually called her one of the most diabolical criminals of all time. He did personally. Yeah, J. Edgar Hoover. Cause, and the, the reason why they the were doing The woman who couldn't read. Essentially, yeah. Now, it, now I'm saying this. Let's be honest. I'm a feminist, so women can be the you know, <laughs> queen pins. We can? Yeah. Oh, man. Carrie, if you that. wanted to start a criminal family, you could. Okay? Now, I'm not saying I'd be a part of it. Right, new life goals. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, but that's the thing. So now you have to determine what the deal new is. New year, so. new me. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie's New Year's resolution is to knock over a minimum of eight banks in the Midwest. I'll share my plan. That's. <laughs> I'm not gonna yeah. move it. Wedding's got to pay for itself somehow. But. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, this creates a little bit of a media sensation now because Hoover is, you know, playing her up as this criminal mastermind. Like, oh, and she's got a, she carries her gun and she shoots people and she's just as ruthless as her boys and the boys all take orders from her and stuff, but. The media sensation that's now following the idea of a Midwest mother now being a gun-toting criminal with a gang that doesn't mind murdering anyone who gets in their way, however, doesn't really jive with the real-life situation, which those who knew her, even gang members themselves who wound up surviving the era, were on record as saying, Ma couldn't plan breakfast, let alone a bank heist. <laughs> so so wait, how did, how did people assume that she would plant these like well plant plant plan these heists was it just was it that public perception of how people were yeah, like so thinking? hoover was hoover was definitely doing a job to spin it in a certain direction because, listen i understand this woman is fucked up still like oh, yeah. the way that she raised her kids is not to be questioned it's ridiculous but this the sensationalism of it i understand where she if i understand her riding around with it and not reporting it is also a problem mm-hmm. but for for them to frame this lady who at this point is what like Late fifties, early sixties. Uh, could be on that time. I should actually look up her age for this time period. But she's definitely a weathered old Midwestern, you know, housewife. This is not. Um, so it depends on which of the stories you want to go into because there's a sensationalism that goes into. We also romanticize the period now too. I don't. I think this is the worst fucking time you could you could exist, especially if you're born in the late eighteen hundreds, going into the twenties, because that's when shit just starts to get good, and then you croak. She would have been around sixty. Also true. About around 60 years old? Yeah. Okay, no, that's good to know. Thank you for that. Um, the the key here is that, so part of this is J. Edgar Hoover saying these things out loud, and then the other part of it is the media running with the story. Yeah. So as we've covered, now, weird little side note. I don't mean to get too, too distracted here, but I will say that um, what comes down to it, in short, is that uh, William Randolph Hearst actually put a rumor in the paper once that Annie Oakley was a cocaine addict and had been arrested with cocaine. <laughs> Annie Oakley, that is complete fabrication. It wasn't real whatsoever. It was speed. But it's, <laughs> well, it sold a, a shitload of papers and magazines because everybody was like, oh, Annie Oakley's out there doing cocaine because stories about women doing cocaine were very popular at the time. So that's how he spun that into a whole thing where they were going to make some money. So J. Edgar Hoover is saying these things to justify his agent's aggressive pursuit of the gang. Also because 
Now when they get to be the person who took down the Ma Barker gang, you get to look pretty fucking cool. You're like, oh, wow, this awful human being. This vi it's like pro wrestling, all right? You, you sell a heel. A heel has to beat up somebody for three weeks so that the good guy can win at the pay-per-view in the fourth week. You know? <laughs> of course. It really is something like that. But anyway. I, mean, I could kind of take it as like they're judging her based on her lack of parental skills. Like, you know, she's not punishing her kids. She's not turning them in. So, obviously, she has to be a part involved of somehow. Yeah. Like, she's not. Well, it's to be argued that she is. Like, just, like, her non, like, as you said, her not reporting it, her just kind of going with it is her responsibility as well. But at the same time, eh. It's not that she didn't know. The question is, how much did she know? So, that becomes the whole thing here. So, now, another thing is this use of Ma is that uh, she's got a couple of, Actual thing she is doing for the gang. One, she keeps the house clean, right? Uh, she also, whenever they move into a new place, that's kind of interesting. So she's going to be a little bit of the housekeeper here. She can put some food on the table, that kind of thing. Like, hey, Ma, we came home with some bacon and shit like that. She can at least do that. You okay. Know? So, um, I mean, men didn't cook back then, probably. So, well, she probably makes the uh, the flop house a flop home. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so the gang hideouts now are getting spiffied up, if you will, by having Ma around. And then she watches HGTV that was bad. on the side. That was bad even for you, man. Was it? I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, those, again, like we said, who knew this, uh, they wouldn't really uh, – because Ma's involved with the crimes, but she's not exactly uh, a huge portion of it. So not to mention that the most cunning use of her, by the way, this is the best part. If you are traveling with a little old lady, who's going to suspect that you're a criminal gang on the run? It's a fair point. You got to get a hotel room. Chunk didn't. Yeah. So, well, now Fred, the youngest, he like let's say Fred walks up and he goes, "Hey, me and my mother just looking to rent a hotel room. We just would like two rooms, so we had some privacy, and then you can shack up all the gang members and it's between the two rooms there, right? That's so it's point. kind of a thing here. I mean, what kind of gang travels around with their little old mother? I mean, right? I could picture, you know, Dad, Uncle Terry, and Uncle Bob riding around with Grammy in the car. Like no one would suspect a thing. No, and uh, it's. <laughs> Grammy was too good of a person. She couldn't pull off any of these crimes. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> My grandma could. My grandma could easily do this. <laughs> I believe you. The uh, oh, Barker Carpus gang again. They're uh, they're far more than just uh, these noble bank robbers. A lot of people thought that they would have just gotten killed and you know wiped from the annals of history here had they not gone out to Minnesota, which around this time frame Minnesota is considered a bit of a safe haven for outlaws mm -hmm. because that's how polite they are out there. Okay, Sunquist family knows. Um, oh, are you robbing me, eh? Oh, I, I mean, I understand. Hey, when you're done robbing me, my wife made a nice soda bread for you. That, that's how nice they are out there. But once established over in St. Paul, Minnesota, the gang fell under the protection of the very, very corrupt police chief, Big Tom Brown. All right, Big Tom Brown. Bit of a loser in his own right, too, on this one. Uh, Just a bit. Yeah, Big Tom will guide the gang and covers their tracks. So imagine having the, the chief of police of the town um, giving you orders and telling you what places to hit and, you know, uh, how to help you get away with it. So in exchange for a percentage, of course. He also got them to give up on just robberies and expanded the gang's resume by letting them get involved in the kidnapping game. Expanded their resume. He's helping them out a little bit. He goes, hey, man, I see you're a plumber. You ever try pipe fitting? Let's get only a little bit of work here, man. Oh, man. So, Ma still has her common-law husband around at this time, Mr. Belknap, but uh, he's starting to get on the gang's nerves a little bit. Um He's a little bit loose-lipped when drunk and maybe talks a little bit too much. Ah, I run with the Barker Carpus gang. Ah, you know, it's a bigger, you should buy me a drink, I'll tell you a story kind of a thing. And he's starting to, an exact see, quote from Carpus is, bit of a pain in the ass, that Belknap fella. See, like, that's great when you're an old man and all this has passed, happened, so it's not like exposing any current secrets. 
But true. Again, you have to wait that seven years. That's the statute. Yeah, of like it's fine. But if it, but during, I could understand why. No, not while you're on the run yeah, from something. No, you. Yeah, that bank robbery the other day. Yeah, that was my son-in-law, <laughs> my stepson rather. I'm sorry, but anyway, uh, so they get a little bit of trouble going their way, and he's a little bit loose-lipped, like we said. And Big Tom, uh, the sheriff is just barely able, the police chief, I should say, is just barely able to warn the gang of an imminent police raid. So he finds out about it, warns the gang, the gang gets out of Dodge. Belknap gets blamed for this. And what do you think happens to Belknap, Kerry? Uh, he's retired down to Florida. <laughs> Close. Yeah, that would be nice. He, uh, <laughs> his naked body is actually found on the road with a single bullet wound to the head. Sorry, Mom. Why Loose naked, lips? though? Mm-hmm. Why naked? Well, I mean, I guess they, they thought maybe. Well, uh, back in the day, you used to have um, your initials sewn into a lot of your clothes. Fair so, point. So I wonder if that was to throw off the investigation a little bit I here. Could. But imagine that conversation. Sorry, Ma. We had to kill your new husband because he you know, he's the reason we just had to escape here. So um, now the escapes, it proves to be the, the straw that not only breaks the back of Belknap, literally, where he winds up getting killed on the side of the road, but uh, also our buddy, the police chief of St. Paul, Minnesota, Big Tom. Yeah, he gets demoted to detective and later removed from the police force altogether. They could not prove his involvement, but everybody – it's one of those things where it's like we can't prove it, but everybody fucking knows. So It's the open secret. Exactly. Okay. So they found a way to force and squeeze him out here. So now you don't have the protection of the police chief anymore, so the gang's going to head out to Wisconsin. And Ma had to be kept away from their girlfriends because she would attempt to break up the relationships with any of those no-good harlots that weren't good enough for her criminal sons. So <laughs> – Ma's a diehard. She's ride or die. So, But now the gang has learned how to do kidnappings, right? They were encouraged to do the kidnappings by Big Tom over in St. Paul. They're going to pull off a couple in Wisconsin area, uh, and they have two major successes, two very high-profile kidnappings. The gang's going to make some serious money. I believe between the two of them, they make $300,000, which that's good money in 2021. Now imagine what it would be in 1938, I want to say this time. Uh, no, 1935, I think. So, so I actually did the inflation thing hit me. on the calculator. So between the two kidnappings, uh, in 2021 money, it'd be worth about $5.9 million. Wow. Yeah, the gang's doing good. Yeah. They pulled this off. They pulled it. The first one's worth 100000 The second one's worth 200000 Now, the problem is with this serious money and the wild success of it and the media coverage— you think that maybe Jadger Hoover and his Bureau of Investigation are going to double down on their efforts to stop you? Because keep in mind, they want to stop you because they're a justice, um, uh, Department of Justice vehicle, uh, or heading that way, I should say. Um, listen more to our Jadger Hoover episode, one of my all-time favorites. But as they're about to uh, uh, do this, they also want to take down the high pro. They're chasing the same headlines that the bank robbers are chasing, but they want to be the ones stopping the bank robbers. So now the year is 1935. Uh, Arthur has been arrested again. Arthur. He gets arrested again. And uh, Arthur, about three years after he's um, arrested, he gets sent over to Alcatraz and is killed during an escaped attempt. Uh, a escape attempt. So now poor Herman, right, her oldest, kills himself. Uh, Arthur now dies attempting to escape from Alcatraz just three years later. You only got two left? She's got two left, two of the four, right? Now, it, it's kind of an interesting thing because uh, we don't really know what she would be saying um, around this time frame. And you, you're going to see why here in a second. Uh, as we're beginning to wrap this story up. Arthur was arrested on January 8th, 1935. And when he's arrested, a map is found on his person. Uh, and the authorities are able to determine that looks like, according to this map, the gang's trying to do 
what every mid-level feature act from New Jersey during a pandemic does, escape down to Florida for a little while. Why not? It's nice and sunny. <laughs> Especially since it is in January. You're right. Good call, Care. I mean, um, they were in Chicago, so Chicago down to Florida is a big, very big difference. I have been, I'm one of the unfortunate people that has both done um, Chicago in January with Navy Boot Camp and, Chicago, uh, and uh, January in Jacksonville. So True. there's a little bit of a difference there, let me True. tell you. So Fred, Ma, and the gang get a nice little country retreat uh, at a place that they were calling Gator Joe's. That's what they were saying. We're staying with Gator Joe's. I'd watch the hell out of this Hanna-Barbera cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, they stay in a town known as uh, Oklahoma, right, which is near the villages in Ocala for anybody who's familiar with Florida. But it's like central Florida. It kind of sounds the... like someone said that something else drunk, like Oklahoma. <laughs> or... <laughs> Or it sounds like Uncle Bobby telling us uh, he's only going to buy us ice cream if we say it in Gaelic. Octorocha. <laughs> so. Only Gaelic word I remember. Oh, by the way, quick shout out. Speaking of uh, uh, all things Irish, uh, our buddy uh, Tyler Prysock, um, I believe that's on. I'm saying your last name right, buddy. It's Murphy's Wake on Instagram, one of the great fans of the show. A member of the Founding Losers, too, by the way, which just for $5 a month you can join and get a bonus exclusive episode and keep this show rolling for free on Tuesdays. Um Keep us some, alive, people. Yeah, he did us some pretty badass art that's going to be coming out soon that I'm very excited about. I'm going to, uh, with his permission, I'm going to have a couple of stickers made, maybe uh, you know, a couple other things here too. But Poster. He's doing some cool shit. Um, of course, we are in Eatontown, so if you guys can hear the uh, uh, cop cars and ambulances and fire trucks going off, it's because someone fell asleep on heroin again. Oh, crap, they're coming so, for me. <laughs> yep, Kerry's out of they it. They found so. me. <laughs> Gotta leave. So that permission you got from the governor was bullshit. Indeed it was. Of course. So, maybe I forged it. <laughs> well, um, again, here's the crazy part. So uh, now the gang is hiding out down in Florida, and they're waiting for the heat to blow over. But the gang moves out around January 13th, and they leave Fred and Ma behind with plans to reunite later. But that's never going to happen, because on January 16th, FBI agents surround the house, and a five-hour gunfight breaks out. The gunfight, I shit you not is watched by onlookers who then, some of them even set up a picnic and just sit there enjoying a lunch while they're watching a gunfight between the FBI and the Barker gang. I was going to say, I'd be sitting there eating popcorn like, hey, this is entertaining. <laughs> oh, shit, a bullet went past, but all right, going to continue eating. Break out the wine. Yeah, break out the wine. That's half the battle there. So yeah. Wine and cheese, anyone? Wine and cheese? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, uh, again, it's a five-hour gunfight here. Uh, it's being watched by onlookers. And after this intense gunfight in which the FBI is unaware that they're just shooting at Ma and Fred, they believe the entire gang was there. That's how effective Fred probably was. And then, keep in mind, this is the baby. This is the youngest. So, Could um, you imagine in that time if they had, like, a way to rig a gun to just start going off for four hours and they were shooting in an empty house. <laughs> like, I think that'd be pretty, like, they Keep the change, out the you back filthy and, animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Put the TV on. All right. Press play. Yeah. Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville, and this is a shootout with the FBI. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, now, here's what's interesting. So, to this day, in uh, Akluaha, there's actually a bar named Ma Barker's Hideout, which uh, if I do make it back down to Florida, we're waiting to see a couple of – I'm waiting on a couple of gigs here. Um, if I do make my way back down there, I will take a ride and go down and have a beer at Ma Barker's Hideout. So, um, now, Ma and Fred, like we said, are in this five-hour gunfight with the FBI. The FBI is essentially um, – it's like – it's a crazy time here. This – I can't imagine a gunfight going on for five hours, but yeah, that's the part that where I'm like five hours. That just seems excessive. Like <laughs> at that point, I would have given up. I would have been like, just I'm tired. I want to go to bed. 
Fuck all of you. I, I surrender. Well, the uh, FBI then forces or coerces, however you want to say it, uh, a local handyman to put on a bulletproof vest and go into the house to check things out. Was it like a name picked out of a hat or something? Like, how did this person Probably. get picked? Yeah, there's like, hey, uh, so... Um, You're not gonna... related to law enforcement, but here you go. That's the worst part. Imagine being a handyman. You're just sitting there like, I'm here for the shingles? Right. And I now have a bulletproof vest on and I'm being sent into a house where there's potentially people pointing a gun back at me. Luckily for this gentleman, there is not. All he finds on the ground is Fred's body riddled with bullets and Ma Barker dead with a single gunshot wound and in between the two of them, a machine gun laying on the ground. She got hit once? She got hit once. How? No clue. I mean, it's a five-hour gunfight. A lot of things can happen. The house probably looks like Swiss cheese and she got hit once? I would imagine. So Fred got just rifled through. Um, he was moving from room to room. So I don't know if maybe Ma got hit by a, a bullet. Now, what J. Edgar Hoover likes to spin, and the FBI, they, they put this spin on here, they declared that Ma was returning fire, that she had the gun in her hand and she was you know shooting back at the FBI agents. And that certainly continued to contend that she was like a kingpin and a violent member of this gang, but this might have just been done to justify the fact that otherwise the FBI just killed a little old lady from Missouri. Well, here's a, I just thought of this. What if she maybe like either asked Fred or Fred just did it, like took her out of her misery kind of thing, just shot her and you know what I mean? It is, um, it's a complicated one issue. One bullet hole? How does that happen? <laughs> like, all right, I'm just going to shoot you and get this over with and I'll continue the... The five-hour gunfight myself. The FBI were tr clearly trained by the same guys who trained the stormtroopers. That's probably why. Uh, that it's could uh, be possible, too. Well, that's the thing. It's You need a gang to take out a gang sometimes. It's uh, also the early days of the FBI. There's some crazy shit going on there, like the way that Dillinger gets off. It's always a thing where they're not sympathetic people. These are bad people that probably deserve what happened to them. But does that justify the action? So that always gets to be the, the crazy thing here. Now, as we're wrapping up, because we got to make a phone call to LP here in a second, but... Uh, Coons, I'm going to ask you just to end the uh, the recording here when I when I wrap up. You'll see when I wrap up normally, mm -hmm. and then we'll just put that as an, uh, an addendum if we can. Cool. So, um, but anyway, we're wrapping this one up because we got to get into the next episode shortly, and our other guest is waiting for us. But I do want to give you guys the final count here on what happened to good old Ma Barker's children. So, of Ma's four children, recap: Herman, the oldest, dead from suicide after a botched getaway during the murder of a police officer. Arthur. In Alcatraz, but soon to die. He dies a couple of years um, after uh, Ma and Fred are, uh, are both killed in this gunfight, which, as we said, Fred, the youngest, dead, riddled with bullets in Florida next to his mother. But what about old Lloyd? What about old Lloyd, right? Certainly one of Ma's son would learn from the gang's mistakes, right? Arthur's dead. Fred's dead. Herman's dead. There's only all the hope is pinned on Lloyd right now, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds about right, Care? Yeah. Well, let me tell you about Lloyd real quick. Uh... A few years after his mother and his youngest brother's deaths, but just a few months before Arthur's death in, during his botched escape attempt from Alcatraz, uh, Lloyd is released from jail. Lloyd goes on. He actually serves in the United States Army during World War II. Uh, he is a cook at, ironically enough, a POW camp. So he's a former prisoner now working as a cook in a prisoner of war camp over in Michigan. So for his service, he's actually you, – you like. He's kind of right in the ship here. He's doing good stuff. He gets an honorable discharge, and he's awarded a good conduct medal for being a chef at a POW camp in the U.S. Army during World War II. So see, at least somebody has a happy ending in this family. Or does he? Um, shit, I'm sorry, guys. I meant to tell you this, that a few years later in 1949, unfortunately, Lloyd's wife gets sent to an insane asylum. 
All right. Very rough times. It's not a good thing here. The early history of mental health in this country and globally is pretty rough. But in 1949, she gets sent to an insane asylum. You want to guess why, Care? Syphilis? Maybe. Maybe that could be a thing because you do go crazy if syphilis gets left untreated. Um, again, road comic. I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> that explains a lot. But uh, no, unfortunately, she is sent to a psychiatric facility uh, back oh, back then called an insane asylum in 1949 because she killed her fucking husband. Lloyd gets killed by his own wife. What? Yeah. So what Lloyd, was her reasoning? Did she ever give it? It's nothing given. Syphilis. <laughs> Doubling down on the syph. Why did you, you kill your husband? Syphilis. A, <laughs> the syphilis told me eh, to. What are you going to do? You know, a little of column A, a little of column B. <laughs> But anyway, wild. Ma Barker's legend is still half myth, half mother, and in film she is depicted as a cruel gunfighting murderer. She's featured in films, TV shows, mentioned in songs. Like we said, has a female MC or hip-hop singer. I can't recall what – I never got to listen to the music before we came in to record today. But uh, it takes her exact name of Ma Barker. And that's in, in common too with, uh, I mean, Public Enemy being a thing in there, Babyface being a thing in there. Uh, pretty, there's a lot. The hip-hop community uh, has a lot of things. These names are taken from this public enemy era. So they're very – history is always around, guys. If you think history is boring, it's because you had boring teachers. And I'm very sorry about that. Let me fix it each week on this goddamn podcast. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, she is an iconic pop culture at this point where you really can't disseminate between if the story is better than the truth, then you run with the story. That's pretty much what it is. So all of that being said, we're going to wrap up now, um, but I will – I'll end on the, the, the traditional note here. I want to say thank you so much to the people who listen to the show. Guys, if you uh, feel like you want to get the bonus content here, which you have full access to the back catalog, which we're coming up on one year of Patreon too. So I want to say shout out to all the founding losers. You guys mean the world to us legitimately. We've lost a couple of people along the way. We've had some people come back. I get people messaging me saying, hey, I just couldn't afford it right now. I totally understand that. I love you guys, all right? doesn't matter. Uh, but if you do decide to jump in – for just $5 a month. That's all it is. Five bucks a month. Five it, smackers. It, Cup of coffee. Literally, it's one large Dunkin' Donuts cold brew. Um, you can help me cover my expenses here at the studio. Uh, I do try to do this stuff on the road. I, I thought uh, we had good feedback of the two episodes I did from the road, and we had the one episode we did um, via StreamYard for the Patreon folks. Those are good. But the real fun is getting to come in here and be in the studio and hang out and you know uh, get a chance to shoot the shit. And there is something – there's an authenticity to being in the studio. So that being said, I want to say thank you so much to Kerry Burke. Anything you want to say on your way out? Um, no. Syphilis. I'm good. <laughs> Syphilis. Uh, the Cahoons, thank you so much behind the ones and twos as always, man. Thank you to Mike and Ming at a Shared Universe podcast studio. And guys, if you can't, if you don't feel like you're ready to join the Patreon, I totally understand. If you don't have the extra cash, that's fine. But if you enjoy these Tuesday shows, which are free, uh, you get four of them a month typically. I had to skip one week this, uh, this the first time we skipped in a long, long time. But I'm going to make it up to you with a couple of badass episodes, this being one of them. Do me a favor, though, and uh, go ahead and maybe leave us a review over on iTunes or something. Uh, maybe share the show. Tell somebody about it. So I put everything out on Tuesdays. Follow the Instagram. Check us out. We're trying to spread the word. I do have some other cool projects that are coming up here. You can check me out. It's at KP Burke Sucks over on Instagram. American Loser Podcast over on Instagram. KP Burke over on Facebook. I'm still posting jokes. I got you know upcoming comedy dates and stuff like He's that. He's still funny, people. It's thank you. Thank you, Cahoons. I love you, buddy. I'm excited. Like I said, the second weekend of March, I'll be uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at Bananas and Hasbrook Heights with Jason Muse. Prior to that, um, I mean, you can't come tonight because I'm back at Bananas again. But Prior to that, he'll be on the run from the New Jersey State Troopers. No, for that's help. Me. Well, no, he helped you escape. I am so. the mob bar. Parker in this situation. <laughs> he has a horrible sense of direction, so I would not 
let him help me escape. No offense. <laughs> no, you're correct on that no one. Offense. It's a <laughs> at least you at least you know. <laughs> yeah. And then the other dates, I got to plug because it's important. Because when you promote dates on here, what happens is you get to write this podcast off as promotion for your small business. I got um, a brief casting couch for you. Oh, hit me with that then. Uh, right after I plug these dates, no worries. So on uh, the ninth. 10th and 11th of February, I will be at Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club. The 10th and 11th, I'll be with Jim Florentine. The 9th, I'll be with Joey Vega. And on uh, the 14th, Valentine's Day, baby, you get two shows. They're already sold out, so you can't come. But it's me opening up for Vic DiBattetto, Mr. Bread and Milk himself. So that being said, you got something else, Care? No. No? <laughs> I'm good. You're the worst. All right. I well, am. Cahoons, go ahead and hit me, buddy. All right. Queen Latifah. No. Queen. Um, I'm thinking... Honestly, Roseanne Barr, I think could I think could do Mob Barker really well. That's a good one. And I would do it where it was like, it's a weird juxtaposition where, from Ma's perspective, we see most of the movie, and it's just her do like she's part of what's the craziness going on, but then in moments where people like us see her, it adds to the legend of it. Like where we where in moments we see the legendary that we hear about Ma Barker, where, where she's being ruthless like just guns toting going crazy but in reality it's this it's just the perception of what people have already seen but it's still a funny movie because i think there's rare you never really get gangster comedies anymore that's true so honestly i was thinking about this too i was going along the comedy route but i was thinking melissa mccarthy i i the only reason i didn't pick melissa is because i'm saving her for for uh the the one movie calamity jane calamity jane (laughs) she's gonna be calamity jane in my uh, Calamity Jane movie with uh, Bill Hader saying? playing uh, Wild Bill Hickok? Yes, sir. Yeah. See? I could see that. Look at the retention on this boy. Hey, guys. Uh, normally, this would be where the show would end. However, this week, we have uh, want to call uh, in a certain guest, okay? Maybe maybe you consider him a co-host. Perhaps some of you would know him as a DILF. He is the father of uh, both myself and Carrie Rx Burke. Uh, welcome to the show, LP. How are you, guy? Uh, we're doing great. We're doing great. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. Sore we're... muscles from all the snow or what? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, as usual, my shoulders are uh, um, tired from carrying the show without you. Um, but okay, <laughs> Carrie did a great job. Uh, Kahuna's in the bathroom real quick, but we wanted to make this phone call because, um, as we just covered, was Ma Barker. I sent you my notes. You know what we were talking about here. She's a pretty prolific figure, but as we were doing the research for it, there's a certain name that jumped out at me that I thought was worth covering a little bit, and I think you got maybe like three to five minutes in you on uh, a little bit of info on a fellow by the <laughs> name of... Uh, Joseph Moran, is that correct? Uh, Joseph P. Moran, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting guy, for sure, for sure. Um, he was a, uh, we're, we're talking the same timeline with the Barker Carpus gang. Um, he was the last physician, because he was a, a medical doctor, to see uh, John Hamilton, one of the members of the Dillinger gang, uh, less to see him alive, but uh, uh, Hamilton died shortly thereafter. But real quick, uh, Moran was a, a smart guy, um, was a lieutenant in the uh, First World War with the uh, uh, Army Signal Corps. So he was, uh, uh, he was you know, a, a smart guy. Uh, Another one of those uh, veterans that got war. up to no good after the military. <laughs> yeah. After that, it went downhill pretty quickly. Uh, and uh, it's alleged that uh, it's pretty much due to he was a booze bag. Um, he was, uh, you know, addicted to alcohol. Um, he did set up a successful uh, private practice. 
Um, but uh, the alcohol addiction kind of did him in. You don't have to say uh, he was an alcoholic, was, uh, Dad. You already said he was a veteran. <laughs> okay. So we can attribute it to post-traumatic uh, stress, I guess. But, um, you know, because of uh, his addiction, if you will, his business really plummeted. So he started taking on uh, little side jobs. And if you're a medical doctor at the time, one of the uh, one of the ways of making a little side money is to become known as, uh, as it was known at the time, a pin artist. Now, a pin artist uh, is not what we know it today, but uh, it's a doctor that's performing illegal abortions. Ah, got I was thinking pinup girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not exactly a pinup girl, but a a pin artist. But anyhow, uh, why would you need that? Wouldn't they just go to Planned Parenthood? Uh, yeah, they couldn't. You couldn't go down to the clinic at that particular point. <laughs> Is that where the term "stick a pin in it" comes from? Oh Jesus! Sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, I I tried to uh, get into the history of that that terminology, and I was really having a hard time with all the modern day uh, pin artistry um, connotations. So old. But uh, yeah, that would that would certainly make sense, Kara. Stick a pin in it. Sorry, um, that got dark there, but end it. You know, yeah. Um, so he's doing these uh, back alley abortions, if you will. Right. So he's doing these illegal abortions. He gets caught and he's uh, uh, receives a 10 year uh, prison uh, jail term. Uh, he loses his medical license, obviously. And then while he's in prison, they put him in charge of uh, the prison hospital. And he does a great job with that. Uh, befriends the warden and uh with the warden's help, uh, he obtains a parole in 31. So we only serve in like three years out of a 10 year sentence. He obtains a parole and he's, uh, actually gets his medical license back again. Um, hey, there's redemption, but, baby. Uh, yeah. Right. So he learned to, tra- he learned to trade while he was in prison and, uh, being makes a doctor, a lot of that's friends. a trade he learned in prison. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's, uh, He's making a lot of friends of uh, with other prison inmates, um, little contacts that he's going to uh, tap into uh, later on. But uh, unfortunately, after he gets out of after he's paroled, he goes right back to his old ways and he's still uh, suspected of uh, further abortions and uh, is returned to prison for another 11 months for violating his parole. Um, but one of the friendships that he uh, cultivated while in prison uh, is a jewel thief that's got a lot of Chicago uh, underworld contacts. Um, so once he gets back out of his second term, uh, he starts um, rubbing elbows with uh, some of the big wigs in Chicago. And uh, we all know the, uh, the the types of people that you were dealing with uh, in the early 30s in Chicago Wonderworld from, uh, you know, well-known names, um, Frank Nitti, uh, Al Capone, th- those those kinds of guys. Oh, yeah. Well, um, well covered today. Well traveled. And yeah, and he has actually made the official position for the Chicago Teamsters, the chauffeurs, the warehouses, men and the helpers union. So he is the doctor of record for a lot of these uh, mob run uh, unions and such. Um, and then uh, he really starts to make him a name for himself. Um, 
when there's a guy that's part of the uh, Dillager gang, uh, John Red Hamilton, who's shot up um, like with five bullets, and he, uh, Doc Moran, takes care of him and uh, you know re- removes the bullets, uh, brings him back that good health and that kind of stuff. And then he, at this particular time, old Doc Moran decides, well, you know, rather than just the cuts, lacerations, and, and bullet wounds, maybe I should expand my uh, my uh, horizons here. And he starts to get into uh, plastic surgery. And <laughs> that's, a, that's a relatively new field for old Doc Moran. Uh, is is but, he know, doing you, like you, you, uh, you learn by you learn by doing? Give it a shot. You know? So is he doing like <laughs> breast implants on these guys, making them blend in? <laughs> no, we're. We're gonna we're gonna change your face, and uh, we're also gonna change your fingerprints. Bad news uh, is your friend is dead. Ahead. Good news is he's got a great big old pair of titties now. So it's it, it's face off <laughs> in the 1930s. Right. Ooh, good reference. Good nobody, reference. Yeah. yeah, nobody will ever recognize you with. Uh, yeah, we're just gonna switch your face the, with uh, this guy. No big deal. <laughs> new face. Uh, gonna erase your fingerprints, and we're gonna give you some plastic goobies, and uh, we're all set to go here. But <laughs> no, he's. Uh, he does such a good job with um, with the fingerprints that uh, um, one of the guys that he, he tries this out. And then, of course, the, the Barker gang, the Barker Carpus gang are all about this, because if we can erase our fingerprints, um, it's that much more difficult for the for the cops to track you. Um, so uh, Fred Barker, which I think was the, the baby of the, the Barker clan. He sure uh, was just like you're the today. baby of the uh, the Burke boys. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm the I'm the I'm the baby. Uh, but Fred Barker and Alvin Carpus uh, try to go in for the plastic surgery with uh, with this guy. Um, the uh, the the plastic surgery does not go too well. Uh, the fingerprint part that was great. I mean, Carpus's fingerprints were uh, erased to such a degree that decades later, he's now having difficulty re-entering his uh, native Canada because <laughs> how, how can you track a guy that doesn't have fingerprints? So who is this guy? Uh, nobody knows, but you know, I guess... Uh, he's an alien. I guess they just put it up he's to, a, a, yeah, to a, work, uh, a work accident or whatever. But uh, you know, he was pretty good at erasing the fingerprints. Um, now, LP, we only have another minute or so here, so uh, I, I did want to ask you real quickly. Um, now this guy, it sounds like it's probably a pretty safe job. If you're the doctor that the mob goes to see, chances are you're going to be pretty valuable to them, right? They'd want to ensure your safety maybe. Uh, yeah, unless you, uh, unless you know a little too much and you're a little loose (laughs) lip. That (laughs) alcohol comes uh, back to bite you in the ass. See, every time. Yeah. How can you Two guys can keep a secret as long as one of them's dead, you know? So, uh, (laughs) that's pretty much the ads that they, they took to. Um, the, uh, I don't know if you guys covered it, but, uh, the Parker Carpus gang kidnapped, um, this, uh, Minnesota guy from out of St. Paul, Edward uh, Bremer. That was their last big, uh, big caper, if you will. The big one that got them um, on, um, on the FBI radar officially. Yeah, that, and that, the heat was definitely on with that. So although the kidnapping was successful. Um, and they they took uh, the the Bremer family down for two hundred thousand, and I don't know if you got into that, but uh, you start scratching away at the Bremer family. That was uh, actually the uh, the owners uh, 
Edward Bremer's dad was the guy that owned Schmidt's Beer. Uh, and Schmidt's Beer was one of the f- few breweries during Prohibition that was allowed to continue to brew what they called near beer. The alcohol content was way low, but there the was uh, some definite. <laughs> yeah, there was some. some, some yeah, no duel. Bud exactly. Light Zero. Uh, <laughs> that's right. There was uh, some definite suspicions that uh, the Schmidt's Brewery was still um, producing beer uh, via secret tunnels and that kind of stuff. So uh, Edward Bremer had underworld uh, ties, uh, and the guy that was running St. Paul at the time um, was definitely in on this whole thing. Um, But uh, once the the kidnapping uh, took place and they were given that $200,000 ransom ransom note. Um, now they, the gang had difficulty in uh, laundering the money, and they came back to uh, Edward Bremer. Uh, excuse me, they came back to Doc Moran trying to uh, launder the money because the heat was on. Nobody really wanted to deal with them, so you're going to start tapping into some of your old contacts to see if uh, uh, he could launder the money through his uh, doctor's uh, office. Um, and another little I got to say this, it's an interesting little side note. Uh, Schmidt's beer, uh, the owners, Papa uh, Bremer, was definitely friends to FDR. Uh, As a matter of fact, the uh, Schmidt's Beer Company was given the government contract to supply the troops uh, after Prohibition was was repealed. So, I mean, if you're friends with FDR and now these gangsters just kidnapped your son, uh, and the heat is on, and I think, you know, it's just even more reason why the, the heat was turned up a whole bunch of notches because of the the contacts that the family had with uh, with the federal government. Oh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll put my little J. Edgar uh, Hoover on that. He can, you know, we'll turn the heat up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find these guys. And, of course, uh, J. Edgar Hoover was all about publicizing how they're after these, these bad guys. And then... Uh, um, they went back to Moran, Doc Moran, to try to, uh, you know, I wanted the money, like I said, but, um, actually the gang, the, uh, the Barker Carpus gang and, uh, Doc Moran are out partying one night and drinking it up. And, uh, again, this guy's a booze bag to begin with. And then while he's drunk, he starts bragging about the, uh, the incident, uh, and, um, after that, uh, he's never seen again. Doc Moran just mysteriously disappears. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, he actually, the body <laughs> reappears, uh, the badly decomposed body, uh, washes up on the shore of uh, Crystal Beach in Ontario. Uh, and he didn't have hands or feet. Um, the body didn't have hands or feet. So Jesus. I guess the uh, the Barker Carpus gang took that erase your fingerprints just a little bit further. Right? I was just going to say that. Up the arm and lop <laughs> your whole hand off. Um, no toe prints either. The FBI. <laughs> yeah, the, the FBI uh, later uh, identified the body that washed up on the shore as Doc Moran by using dental records. Um Alvin Karpis wrote in his autobiography that um, the FBI had it wrong, that uh, he claimed that Moran was murdered by Arthur and Fred Barker. 
and then buried them in a lime pit in Michigan. So, you know, lime is going to eat away or decompose the body real quick. Um, but uh, like an acid bath. the most accepted, yeah, the mo- most authorities feel that uh, that's all bullshit, that Alvin Carpus was just trying to put the, put the blame on uh, guys that were already dead. Um, or not himself. You know, Dad, we neglected and, to mention uh, this on the episode, too, but Alvin Carpus uh, is the only of the big four, the big four being the ones named public enemy number one. He's the only one right. to have been taken alive, and I believe he dies of natural causes. Yeah, he dies, uh, as I say, he, he's writing a, an autobiography in 71, so he had a he had a long life where everybody else got whacked uh, uh, early on. Um, but the most accepted version of whatever happened to Doc Moran was that uh, uh, Carpus and, and uh, Fred Barker took Moran on a boat ride on Lake Erie and uh, you know, they, never saw, boat ride. they never saw Doc again. You know what you do? You say, in our father, every time you try to catch a fish, you put your line in and then you say, in our father. No, it's the Hail Mary. The Hail Mary, that's right. <laughs> the Hail Mary. Hail Mary. That's right. Well, hell, Dad. Forgive uh, us our uh, trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us <laughs> over the side. A la uh, Big Pussy on uh, uh, HBO, right? Well, it was Fredo in Godfather Part Two, and then also they do kill Big Pussy on the boat. Hey, we're starting to get a rough connection here. We're also out of time. Do you have anything else you wanted to say in 30 seconds or less? Nope. Miss you guys. Have a good time, and uh, thanks for uh, bringing me in on this. No, man, we miss you. We'll get you back up here soon. You're back up end of February. We'll sneak you in maybe for the Patreon. All right, there you go. Hell yeah, Dad. Well, we love you very much. Uh, stay safe and enjoy MacGyver. Love you guys. Say hi to Mom. You, and you, you guys as well. Take care. Guys, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. That was Ma Barker, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. Born.